Southeast Radio's morning mix. Chat, news, and your views. Alan Corcoran. Good morning, Alan. Now, you're visiting Wexford for this very special commem- uh, commemoration, uh, remembering Lee Mellows. Why so? Well, it's 100 uh, years on, as your listeners, I'm sure, are aware. Uh, in fact, yesterday, the 8th of December, marks the centenary of the execution of Liam Mellows and three other uh, Republicans. They weren't the first to be executed. They weren't the last. But we're, we're now in the period where we mark and remember a very, very divisive, um, a very traumatising part of the, the Irish historical story. And I think it's very important that we remember those that were executed by the free state, that we acknowledge their contribution to the, the struggle for Irish independence, that we reflect on everything that happened in the run into those executions subsequent to it. And above all, I think there's a moment of um, making peace with the past, Mm-hmm. Uh, acknowledging it, acknowledging different takes, different analysis, different positions on what happened uh, a century ago, yeah. but that had such an influence in all of the generations and decades to follow. And in some respects, Alan, putting some of the ghosts of that past uh, to right. death. The, the, the men who were executed, as you know, were summarily executed. It was the men were killed as a mark of reprisal for murder of um, T.D. Sean Hales, Mm. who had been killed the night before. So it was a very, very traumatising, very divisive, but also a very formative period. We'll be hearing from Fiontano Suloan, who's been very actively involved in this uh, over the course of our bulletins over the weekend, about more about uh, the commemoration of Liam Mellows. But I know you're willing to talk to me about a wide range of issues this morning in the programme. So I'd like to, to kind of focus in on some of them with you now. Let's first of all look at the cost of living. The cost of everything is increasing. So how, in your opinion, should the government go about addressing the cost of living crisis? Did you speak to the people of Wexford this morning? Absolutely. Well, I think in the first instance, I'm I'm aware that even in the sunny southeast, it's cold. This morning we're in the grips of a really cold. It's freezing here in Dublin. Um, Alan, really, really cold across the country. So I think it is absolutely essential that um, through the winter period and into the springtime that people have the reassurance of support um, and assistance. Not every household and family will struggle, but certainly lots are of that. There is no doubt there has been some uh, one-off payments made to people. I have no doubt that that's very welcome in the Christmas period. But I also know that this cost of living crisis is going to continue into the new year. One of the things we would like government to do, and we've we've appealed to them time and time again, is to intervene in respect of very, very high uh, rental costs. Uh, They've refused to do that. You'll have heard me say before, Alan, that we believe that a month's rent should be put back into renters' pockets Mm. through a refundable tax credit. And we need to put a ban on uh, rent increases, a ban on evictions. People are really, really suffering. Um, I I think also there's more work to be done on many of the the standard costs around uh, childcare, other cost of living expenses that are causing a real difficulty to households, uh, the length and breadth of the country. Some progress has been made, but we're not nearly... Uh, close to where where we need uh, to be. So this is going to be very much work in progress for government and for those of us in opposition. 
and to keep an eye on the 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 cost of energy right and the cost of fuel and we have a, a strong track record now over the last month last year in fact of keeping pressure on government to intervene in terms of diesel and petrol costs mm. in terms of the, the, the price of uh, heating your home, keeping the light on, mm. getting money into people's pockets. And there I say it, I think our team and others on the opposition benches have been successful to some mm. extent in, in, in putting pressure on government and we intend to keep it on them. Right. If you enter government, you, you promise to build 100,000 new homes in five years. But, but how yes. many new social homes have you managed to, to build in the north of Ireland? Because it's considerably less than that. And also, you've kind of given a five-year plan for, for, for Ireland, uh, for Republic of Ireland, and uh, a 15-year plan for the north of Ireland. People will say there's double standards here, Mary Lou. No, it's not a case of double standards, Alan. The, the reality, sadly, <laughs> unfortunately, we, we still have two jurisdictions on the island. And so the systems are uh, distinct. I say that with regret, as you know, I'm a United Irelander, and I think we would have a far better success if we had a single approach to housing, to health, to building our economy and building our futures. But that. Uh, it's probably a separate conversation. I, I'm just very determined that we get the, get the houses uh, built. I mean, your listeners will have heard report after report from all sorts of authorities setting out the house uh, costs uh, of purchase, if you can, are skyrocketing. The rents, as I've mentioned, are eye-watering, and we've record levels uh, of homelessness. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the full effort of the state and the full effort of any Sinn Féin government, any government that has Sinn Féin or certainly that's led by Sinn Féin, would be simply to align as a national effort to respond adequately to what is now not just a, 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 a problem, but in fact a crisis and uh, an emergency. Uh, and the houses uh, yeah. have to get built. I mean, construction work has been happening across the economy. But there's um, no, wor- there's no it, workers out there, Mary Lou. There's no workers out there. Well, there are them. really. There are actually. That's, that's, that's not true. And if you talk to people in the construction industry, fed, Federation and others, there is a, a real belief that in the event that you have a strong plan, in the event that you get the right type of leadership and you come at this, with the full force of the state to meet it as an emergency, just as we met the COVID emergency, for example. Um, well, well, if you have that level of absolute political clarity and determination, um, you have the workforce uh, to get out and, and build houses. All the right. problem has been not a problem of, of money. The government keep telling us that money is not the issue. They're on the record repeatedly of saying, and I agree with them, by the way, for that the issue here isn't money. Mm-hmm. We can marshal the resources. It really is a question of political will and moving from the wrong policies that have favoured big international funds and in all sorts of ways to build big apartment blocks for eye-watering rents that nobody will ever have an option of buying and moving to really strongly resourcing the approved housing bodies, the local Mm. authorities, tidying up the procurement processes, and going at this as an emergency effort. That has not happened so far, and that effectively is what must happen, Alan. All right. There are a number of contentious issues I want to address with you, but before I move on to those, hospital waiting lists continue to rise. How would Sinn Féin go about solving this major problem? 
Well, um, this is something that, that, that my colleague David Cullinan has done a huge amount uh, of work with in consultation with, with all of the professional bodies and the people in the health uh, services. This is a matter of capacity. Um, this is a matter of diagnostic capacity, theatre space, um, and a, a matter of resourcing our hospitals and our wider health infrastructure adequately. And I'm conscious in the course of any debate on health, very large numbers get bandied about and, and people can almost despair at, at uh, the ability of the system to respond. Right. But we, we saw, for example, when the heat came on government very strongly in respect to scoliosis, because we had a, a horrific situation where kids were waiting and waiting in, in horrific pain for, for their surgery. We had the surgeons. We simply didn't have the theatre capacity. We put on huge pressure. We got a, a commitment for some funding. Some of that, most of that was released. And we have seen some progress. The, the list, there is still a wait, yeah. but there has been significant progress uh, made there. So that, that is it. It's a question of resourcing the health professionals in every respect to do the job that, that they need to do. In, in the meantime, and we want that work done primarily through, through public health right. services. That's what we need to but build in Ireland. We need to build our public health. Public health, uh, equal yeah. equality for all. Exactly, but and that's that's ideally. I mean, our our own view, long, middle, and long term, is that we need to build an Irish national health okay. service. We've got the wrong model. But in the meantime, we we also accept that um, some uh, relief has to be given to the public system through private provision. So, in in the course of, for example, in our pre-budget submission, um, we we uh, we made provision uh, for that. But the answer to this ultimately is around building your public health service. And can I say, I am really disturbed, upset, concerned that we are seeing now in Ireland another generation of our best and brightest feeling right. that the only option available to them is to go and build their lives uh, overseas. And those are teachers and plumbers and hairdressers and, and doctors and nurses. And one of the things we cannot allow happen is a hemorrhage of the professional skill and talent and commitment um, of Irish healthcare professionals. We need to do everything that we can to encourage, to entice, and to say to these young professionals that we want them to stay at home, that we need them to stay All at right. home. And that loops us back again, Alan, um, not only to the housing issue, but primarily to the issue of affordable housing right. right across the country, but particularly in the big urban at centres and in our cities. There are a number of contentious issues that I want to address with you now, Mary Lou. Uh, transparency. Last week in the Irish Independent, Maria Cahill raised a number of questions. Have you ever met Jerry Hutch? Has he or any other gangland figure ever donated money to Sinn Féin or any member of the party? Can you answer those questions for me, please? I can answer them very simply as, uh, simply as no and no. No, I have not met... Um, Jared Hutch, and no, gangland figures do not contribute to Sinn Féin. It's as simple as that. There is an ongoing court case which limits me to asking questions yes. to you about this and you responding to any questions I may ask about this, but you're stating quite categorically that you have never met Jerry Hutch and that he or any other gangland figure have never donated money to Sinn Féin or any member of the party. That's correct. 
That is absolutely correct. And in relation to the, the court case happening in Dublin, it's obviously a landmark and a very important um, case. And can I commend uh, and guard the Shia Khanna for painstaking work right. over a long time? You see, these gangland figures, whoever they may be, and I'm not referring to any particular case, but I represent a community here in, in the north inner city of Dublin hmm. that, that more than most right. suffered at the hands of a drug epidemic and the scourge of what's called gangland. I don't like that term because it affords kind of a, a machismo or a glamour to what is pure thuggery, pure and utter thuggery and terrorising of decent, decent working class neighbourhoods. And you see everybody who's involved in that. I don't care who they are. Yep. don't care where they come from, what background, what class they come from. Those people need to be held to account. They need okay. to be put behind bars and our communities need to be safe. And that is my position, Alan. Right. That is my track record, not just as a public uh, representative as, as uh, or an activist, but also as a citizen and as a mother and as a person who is possessed of a sense of decency Right. and who wants to live in a city, in a country, where all of our people feel safe right. and are safe. The next issue, Wexford All-Ireland uh, hurling manager uh, speaking, and I quote at the launch of a book called The Guards, Liam Griffin, Police in County Wexford, 1922 to 2022, said the following, When Peter Rogers was left free after the Good Friday Agreement, he went on to the BBC and did an interview stating he was under direct instruction from Jerry Adams and Martin McGuinness to drive explosives to Britain. And that's what he said in discussing the Seamus Quaid murder. He went on to say that Rogers claimed were rejected by Lynn Boylan of Sinn Féin and by Mary Lou MacDonald. Liam Griffin said his dad was a guard, Seamus Quaid was a guard. What about the Quaid family? What about the family of Jerry McCabe? Liam Griffin concluded by saying that Martin Ferris, who was sitting beside you and Doyle Aaron, went on to organise a homecoming for the people who murdered Jerry McCabe. What's your reaction to these co- uh, comments, Mary Lou, please? Yeah, well, I, I am really sorry that, that uh, Liam Griffin feels such a, a sense of animosity, personal animosity towards me. I, I, I think that's a, a real shame. I, I'm very conscious, Alan, we've discussed this many times before, that for many people, um, what happened in the conflict still hurts and mm-hmm. still hurts hard and none more so than families of members of Angarda, uh, Shia Connor, or indeed any right. family uh, who lost uh, a loved one in the course of the conflict. I'm very conscious of that. I also have to say um, that I have been clear and we have been clear um, that uh, no member of the Gardaí, uh, nobody wearing the uniform of Angarda Siakona should have been hurt or harmed right. in any way in the course of that conflict. And I think Mr Griffin made that point and on that he and I are of one uh, mind. I would also say this, that with the best will in the world, I can't change history. I didn't write the pages of Irish history, Alan. Um, That is, I'm not the author of that. I can't change that. What I can do, and what I have done, I believe, in the course of my political life, is to commit myself firmly to work for the future. That's what I'm about. I, I came into politics to uh, at the time of the Good Friday Agreement. I'm in political life because I passionately believe in our country, in our in our shared future, in the destiny of Ireland, um, and I want to build the peace and reconciliation 
and to build for the future. But I also accept right. that, of course, these issues and these hurts will, will emerge. And all I can do is extend my, my sympathy, my heartfelt sorrow. Okay. And on behalf of those that were hurt or harmed by Republicans of any guise, in any set of circumstance, to offer a heartfelt apology and a genuine sense uh, of, of solidarity and understanding of what that loss means. Right, time is catching up on me, and uh, I have another couple of issues to raise as well. Shane Ross, okay. I, I, I saw the interview with Ryan Tuberty, you were deeply hurt by that book by all accounts, but when he was in studio with me, Mary Lou, he was quite complimentary to you, uh, and he raised a number of queries. I don't have time to get through all the queries, but I just want to, to let you hear this little clip when he talks about you and your link with uh, Jerry Adams. Uh, I just want to play this one for you now. All politicians have to take decisions and take uh, stances and defend decisions they don't really believe in. May Lou was forced into a situation where she had to take Jerry Adams' line on issues like the murder of Jean McConville, which was absolutely appalling. Uh, she had to take she had to take all other uh, several other positions with which she must have felt deeply uncomfortable. Because if you were to take position in Sinn Féin, which was contrary to uh, Adam's position, you were toast. And Mary Lou took those positions. Uh, uh, she supported Adams in all those situations. I think that damaged her credibility. I think uh, it was po- possibly the only road to the leadership. And if she had, hadn't taken those positions, she wouldn't be leader of Sinn Féin now. That's just one sample. He also discussed other issues as well. But I'll just let you respond to that particular comment. Are, are you in a position to respond to what we've heard there from Shane Ross, Mary Lou? Well, really and truly, um, I, 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 the only response that I can give you is that uh, I uh, make up my own mind on things. Um, I take my own position on things. And uh, I, I, I'm not really sure Shane is a, a poor biographer and a poorer mind reader, judging by that extract. So that is all I have to say on that subject. And that's all you're willing to say at this point in time on that subject? But sure, that's all I have to say, Alan. I mean, okay. there's, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a very, very busy person, as you can imagine. There's a lot happening in the world. Uh, we're only a couple of weeks away from Christmas. So the least of my concerns is speculation as to how, what I might or might not think made by a person who clearly doesn't know me terribly well at all. All right. Uh, I know. Are, are you still taking legal action against RTE? Is that still going ahead? Uh, yeah, there is a, an action uh, underway against the uh, against RTE, yes. There are two questions to round off my conversation with you this morning, Mary Lou. What do you say to people that may be open to voting for Sinn Féin but have a genuine concern about the alleged involvement of what they describe as the faceless army council in the running of the party? Well, uh, can, I, can I just say, whatever concerns people might have, and every person when the election is called will have to, you know, make an assessment, make up their mind, make their choice, and I hope everybody comes out and votes. And, and uses that democratic opportunity. And of course, Sinn Féin will have to be scrutinised, we'll set out our platform, we'll set out our team, and, and we, no more than anyone else, are not immune from scrutiny. But can I just say, this nonsense that somehow persons unnamed mm. run Sinn Féin is rubbish. And no matter how often it is asserted 
or those who claim to be in the know make that assertion, that is rubbish. I am the leader of Sinn Féin. Michelle O'Neill is the deputy leader of Sinn Féin. We have a democratically elected leadership of the party. We have management structures to run the party because it is now a very, very large national organisation. We run our party, we run our affairs in an entirely proper way. We don't always get things right. I wish to God we did, Alan. But this notion that there is some kind of other lurking behind is just absolute rubbish. And I've said this to you before because I've been asked this consistently. It is not lost on me and it is not lost on Michelle that this issue of who runs Sinn Féin is an issue now that women, uh, for a large part, are in the driving seat. I can tell you who runs Sinn Féin. I do. Michelle O'Neill does. And the collective uh, leadership, Pierce Doherty, Conor Murphy, others who are well known to your listeners, we are the people who ultimately are charged by the Sinn Féin or that to run the party. That's the answer to that question. I have to leave it there. Thank you for taking time to talk to no us this problem. morning. Uh, safe travels to Wexford to commemorate Liam uh, Mellows. Thank you so much. And can I wish everybody a very, very happy uh, Christmas um, and yourself, Alan. I wish you well. Southeast Radio's Morning Mix. Chat, news and your views.